0: Good morning, Bethany family. I am Pastor Christopher Eck and glad that we can be together this morning for Palm Sunday. Uh, it was special to take communion today. I took it off to the side, um, but imagine this room being full and coming you coming forward and receiving communion as a church family. Thank you to all the kids today who took pictures of Palms and made that art project at home. That's the kind of thing for me as a kid, an art project like that would have have caused me much angst and anxiety. I was not an artistic kid, and I was the son of an art teacher. And I can just imagine me getting done with that project and my art teacher or my mother or father turning to me and say, oh, is that a palm branch or is that a centipede or is that an octopus? And I would have said, oh, it was a dog. And then I would have hung my head with a little bit of shame at the project that was just completed. If I look older today, it's because now we are in HD. And so if you have complaints about that, send that to our tech team at techteam at bethanycovenant.com and let them know that HD was not the best idea for Pastor Chris. It is now time to receive our morning offering And we're going to bring up a link to you in the live stream. Also, if you're on our website, you can click that link, give online, and participate in our offering this morning. I just want to encourage you for the generosity that you've shown in this past month. We have adjusted on the fly here at Bethany, and you have adjusted the way that you're giving at Bethany as well. And we are just so grateful for your faithfulness during these last many weeks and the giving that you've had and so invite you to give during this time we are not just giving our offerings as a church but our church is making masks for medical professionals and if you'd like to be a part of that project you can swing by church and pick up a kit and begin sewing those in your home and dropping them off here and we have people who have connections to medical professionals in the area that are getting those where they need to go And so for those who have spent hours and hours sewing masks this week from Bethany, I'm really thankful and excited for that. Um, Next, this coming week is Holy Week. And we're going to be with you all week walking through the last week of Jesus' life before his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so each day, watch emails and watch our website and watch our Facebook page because we're going to walk through every moment of this past week with Jesus, including Monday Thursday, where we'll have just a short service on Facebook Live and on our website to take communion again on this coming Thursday. So we'd invite you to that. And then on Good Friday, our pastors are going to be walking you through the seven last words of Jesus from the cross throughout the day. And so one of those will come at 6 a.m. and the next at 9 and throughout the day you're going to have these little pause moments to look at exactly the words that Jesus said from the cross on Good Friday. And then next Sunday we're going to be together again for Easter Sunday and so I'd invite you to join us again at 10:30. Well, we've come to the part in the book of Mark where Mark records Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And this is Mark chapter 11. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them so, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The day for Jesus begins at a small town called Bethany on the eastern suburbs of Jerusalem. People coming as pilgrims to Jerusalem for this holy week of Passover, many would stop in Bethany. Bethany was the place where they'd get supplies again, where they'd get medical care, where they were cared for and were staying because Jerusalem would be so crowded. So Jesus would go to Bethany. He had friends there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and they'd spend the night at Bethany preparing for the next day. I love that our church is named Bethany. Bethany in the Bible was a place that people went to rest and to find preparation for what God was going to do in their lives in Jerusalem, and my hope is that the same thing can happen here at our church. So Bethany, from Bethany Jesus sends two disciples into Jerusalem. They get a young donkey, and Jesus gets on the donkey, and now he's going to begin to make his ministry more public than it's ever been. Even some of Jesus' biggest moments, he would tell the disciples, make sure not to tell anyone about this yet. But now Jesus is on full display for everyone. And the crowd begins to gather. The crowd went ahead of him and went behind him. And the crowd begins to yell, Hosanna. Which in the Hebrew means, save us. And it had a desperate quality to it. Save us now. They're crying out to God, save us in this moment. Save us from this particular time in our lives. They were crying out to Jesus for help and crying out to God for help. And it had some undertones to it. There is a political crying out. They wanted a new government. They did not like the government of Herod and Pilate. They wanted a new government, and they wanted a new king, and so they're saying Jesus, save us, be our new king. There is a royal overtone to it. They were taking their cloaks and putting them on the street. That was a sense that they had seen Jesus in a brand new way in a royal way. But then there was also a desperation to the crowd. They were looking at their lives in their present situation, and they wanted help now. They didn't want help a week from now or a month from now. They're saying, Jesus, save us now from this particular moment. Many of them had had their land taken from them and their economic viability taken from them, their livelihood taken from them, and they wanted help from Jesus on this day. There is political and royal and a desperate need for saving. And so imagine if you could walk among the crowd that day and, like, listen to some of the things that people were saying in this time of celebration. I could almost hear one person saying, he's going to be a good king, isn't he? I can feel it. Look at how the people love him. Look at how the people cheer him. We don't cheer Herod that way, but look at how we cheered Jesus. That's the kind of king that I want Jesus to be, the kind that we cheer like this. Or another may say, we need a king again like David We need a king like David, who won battles and ruled over the best years of Israel. We didn't get to live in the best years. We want to live in the best years of Israel. And so we need a king like David, except for maybe the adultery and the murder. Those are things that we don't need. But overall, we need a king like David. That's the kind of king that I want Jesus to be. Or another may yell out, he's going to make Pilate wish he never came to this town. That's the kind of king I want Jesus to be. I want Jesus to make the Romans and Pilate pay for what they've done in this area. Look at these crowds. Jesus is going to be a king that throws out Pilate. That's the kind of king that I want Jesus to be. Or another may say, I want a king who's going to take back all our land that's been taken from us. I want a king that'll return what's rightfully ours. That's what I want him to do when he is king. Or another may say, I want him to be like King Solomon, wise like King Solomon. Maybe he'll be as wise as King Solomon was, except for all the wives that Solomon had. Maybe not that, but that's the kind of king I want Jesus to be. Or another may say, I want when he becomes king, I want him to make Israel strong again. I want to win battles again and fight off nations again like we used to do. That's the kind of king that I want Jesus to be. Be like David. Be stronger than Pilate. Take back our land. Be like Solomon. Those are all things that the crowd would probably be saying that day. And the fact is, is that Jesus would disappoint all those expectations. The crowd on Palm Sunday was going to be disappointed five days later because Jesus was not going to be the king that they wanted and that they spoke about in the crowd that day. But let's, for fun, let's say that Jesus did kind of become that king. Let's, let's play it out with a little different ending, the alternate ending to Palm Sunday, And so Jesus is on the donkey. He rides in the Jerusalem with all the cheers around him. And he rides his donkey right up to Herod's palace. And there in Herod's palace, Herod and Pilate and the chief priests are meeting in his palace. And Jesus gets off the donkey and he walks to the front door and there are the guards, eats with the spears and he does like this Jedi mind trick thing and he just separates and the spears go to either side. And Jesus walks into the door and there sitting at the table is Pilate and the chief Pharisees and the top Pharisees and Herod and their mouths just drop because Jesus has walked into the room and Jesus is there like with this wild long hair, you know, looking strong and they shudder bit as they look at Jesus. And Jesus looks each of them in the eye and said, this is my city now. It's time for you to pack your things and get get out of my city. And the crowd would go crazy at that point. Can you imagine Jesus walking in? Get out of my city. The crowd would go crazy. They would not have been disappointed with this on Palm Sunday. Can you imagine that moment? Pilate, Herod, and the chief priests, they know that Jesus is serious. Jesus is standing there, the 12 disciples behind him with like sharpened oars from their boats. And Pilate and the Herod and the chief priests, they knew they would have lost. And so Pilate orders the army out of the city and Herod clears the palace, and the chief priests are kicked out of town, and as they're walking out of town, Herod turns around and said, you haven't seen the last of us, Jesus, and Jesus responds, bring it on, Herod. We'll be ready if you ever come back, and the crowd would just go crazy again on this Palm Sunday, and Jesus walks to the palace, and he takes his seat on the throne. The 12 disciples behind him And they ruled Jerusalem with strength and with wisdom and power for the next 35 years until they slowly started to die off one by one. And then a new king, not nearly as good as King Jesus, would take over and the people would say again, gosh, we need a king like David, a king like Solomon, a king like Jesus. That's what the people wanted that day. That's what they would have cheered that day. And Jesus was going to disappoint the crowd that day, but really Jesus is just disappointing a lesser dream. Jesus does that. Jesus disappoints our lesser dreams because he's creating a life and a movement for us that is far more significant. The crowd was thinking and dreaming and hoping for something far too small that day. They wanted Jesus in their image. But by making Jesus into their image, they stripped Jesus of his true love and of his true power and of the hope that he would fill them with that day. And I think that's one of the reasons that we as a world fail to see the true power and the hope and the love of Jesus is because we are making Jesus into who we want Jesus to be Instead of who Jesus truly is. And I hear people say, you know, Jesus is just a nice person with some good teachings. You know, I'll listen to some things, but not everything. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of interest if that's all Jesus is. Just some nice teachings and some nice stories. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus gives wisdom and power in life that leads to a peace that passes all understanding. He gives wisdom in life that leads us to fulfill greater destinies than we could imagine on our own. Some people may look at Jesus and say, oh, Jesus is just kind of like all the other leaders of the other major religions, and so I kind of pick what I like from Jesus and pick what I like from these other religions, and that's what I kind of do in life. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have much interest in a Jesus like that either but that's the Jesus that we've created, not the Jesus that is. I like a Jesus that I cannot fully comprehend, a Jesus that will surprise me every day with something amazing or majestic, or surprise me with his love every day. I need a God that I can't comprehend. Some may say, I don't know if I need a lot of help from Jesus. I don't know if Jesus can add much wisdom or value to what I'm already doing. I'm pretty good in life right now. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of interest in a Jesus that does life just as good as I do. I don't have a lot of interest in that. But Jesus adds to our life in amazing ways. Jesus is the one who brings fullness Jesus is always greater than how people first perceived him, and as you get to know Jesus more, his greatness and his glory just build and increase inside our lives. And so I think times where people reject Jesus, they've rejected the Jesus that they've created in their minds instead of the Jesus who truly is. And the world has a great history of doing this. That the people on Palm Sunday were not the first ones to do this, or not the last ones to do this. We have done this through history. I've used this illustration before, but it fits well. That for those of you who grew up in the late 90s, or late 80s and early 90s, you know, our music was making fun of Jesus and making things out about Jesus. And so, I've listened to a lot of people talk about their playlists for this time of isolation and social distancing and physical distancing. And so part of my playlist, other than worship music and hymns that I'm loving to listen to right now is I've, I've really been listening to a lot of REM again. Go look it up if you're too young. It's a band from the late 80s, 90s. It's a great band. But there's songs like It's the End of the World as We Know It. That's kind of a great song for right now. Um, there's the song Don't Fall where the line is don't, fall, don't let the sky fall on me. People are saying the sky is falling. We're kind of saying, no, don't let the sky fall on me. There's a great song Everybody Hurts, and that song has been coming on, and I've been thinking of people who have lost loved ones and people who are in grief during this time. And, so, and then their most popular song, Losing My Religion, as people are asking questions of faith in this time deeper than before. And in the early 90s, images of Jesus started to show up in popular culture. It happened in R.E.M.'s song, Losing My Religion. The video starts with a glass of milk being spilled, and then the second image is Jesus falling from heaven, almost like an angel falling from heaven. And the question that they're exploring in the video is, is it a big loss if we lose the church? Is it a big loss if we lose institutional religion? There's another song called Heart-Shaped Box by Nirvana, and in that video you have an emaciated Jesus character with a Santa Claus hat on, climbing up on the cross himself. And the message here is that Jesus is presented like a Santa Claus, weak and useless to a generation. It's a video by Soundgarden and by Tori Amos that explore these same things. And the question is, why was Jesus portrayed as being so weak? Why was Jesus portrayed in such kind of a negative way? And Tom Bedouin, who wrote a great book called Virtual Faith, he talks about the spirituality of Generation X, and he answers that question of why this was showing up in popular culture at this time. And this is what he writes. He says, this is, in my view, the Jesus that has been presented institutionally to many Xers in their childhood and young adult years. This Jesus, which Xers and their popular culture justly mock and ionize, had been domesticated and drained of any spiritual energy. Not only does he wearily climb on the cross on his own accord as an empty ritual, but when he does so, no one else is looking. No one cares. It's as if he is domesticated, and he no longer instills any emotion, including fear. Any positive feelings about Jesus are mocked as sentimentality. Thus, the videos illustrate both the image of God, Jesus as preached by many churches, and the critique and the mockery of that image. And what he's basically saying is, have we preached a message of a Jesus too much in our own image? And that is far too small than for who Jesus truly is. People will look at this Jesus that we may create for ourselves or this Jesus that is not the fullness of Jesus and say, I don't need that Jesus. I need someone with a depth of love that i haven't seen before i need someone with a power that will surprise me i need someone who will give me hope to get through every day that is who the true jesus is jesus is the one who does those things andrew greeley is a columnist and he said the same thing once you domesticate jesus he isn't there anymore The domestic Jesus may be an interesting fellow, a good friend, a loyal companion, a helpful business associate, a guarantor of your justice, of your wars, but one thing he is certainly not, the Jesus of the New Testament. Once Jesus comforts your agenda, he's not Jesus anymore. The crowd that day on Palm Sunday, they were doing the same thing as REM and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Tori Amos were doing in the late 80s and early 90s. That is a sentence that has never been said in a Palm Sunday sermon before. The crowd that day was doing the same thing. They were shaping Jesus in their own image and hence taking away the true power of who Jesus is. One of Jesus' closest friends was a man named John. John had really escaped the martyr's death that many of the other apostles and disciples had fallen to. John was on the island of Patmos as he became later in life, and in his time on Patmos, he would have visions of what God was going to do in the world, and he would write these visions down. And John had seen the risen Christ, he had spent time with the risen Christ multiple times, and so he'd seen the power of God in a way that was unbelievable in his life. So when these visions came, it gave him the ability to kind of sort through of what is what God is saying to him through these visions. Then he talks about one of his particular visions, and he talks about a throne. And he sees on the throne that there is Jesus on that throne. And he writes this, he says, he who is seated on the throne is saying, I am making everything new. And you can almost see John just start to linger on that line, I am making everything new, the man on the throne says. And John begins to think of what that meant for him and what that meant for his family, And he begins to think of the people that he loves and the people all throughout history of time that now things could be made new. And he pictures maybe a day like this where we need something new from Jesus. He pictures people in pain and people who are sick and people with heavy hearts. He pictures people looking for meaning in a pretty busy and complicated world. And he just basks in that line. I am making everything new. And I wonder if he thought, if Jesus had just taken the throne in Jerusalem that day, that would have been a far lesser dream than the throne that he is on today. And John gets lost in this thought, and the angel says, the angel says to him, "John, write this down, for this is trustworthy." And true. I like to think that John got lost in what he was thinking, and the angel's like, Hey, don't forget to write this down. This is pretty important, John. That's how much he was taken by that line I am making everything new. The crowd was right about one major thing that day. They were right to yell to Jesus, Save us. They were right to yell to Jesus, Save us, please, and do it now. They were right to cry out to Jesus. They just had the wrong cry. They had the cry of a lesser dream, not the cry of a greater dream. And that's what Jesus is inviting you to today. That sometimes we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, solve this. I want this dream in life, but when we are actually asking Jesus for a lesser dream than the kind of dream that Jesus has for us in life. You see, the kind of dream that Jesus has for us in life, the fuller dream that Jesus has for us in life, it's not that we're going to do life on our own, but that we will every day of our lives walk with Him in relationship. And when we encounter stress and anxiety and trouble and hardship and weakness, there we are with Jesus every step of the way. That is the greater dream that Jesus has for us. Millions of people throughout history have cried out to Jesus, save us. And it is the right person to cry out to, for Paul writes, For Jesus and God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so what do you need saving from this morning? What do you need to cry out to, to Jesus for this morning Do you need saving from death or saving from pressure or saving from fear or anger or grief or debt or saving from arrogance or saving from anxiety or saving from loneliness? That Jesus is here to save us and walk with us through all those moments. Pursue the greater dream that Jesus has for your life and that is a life with him. Let us pray. Lord, it is easy for us to get caught up in the lesser dreams. The lesser dream of self-sufficiency, the lesser dream of kind of a good suburban life, the lesser dream of having a great income, the lesser dream of having lots of stuff. Lord, we can get the lesser dream of Jesus sitting on a throne in Jerusalem For 35 years, it's a lesser dream. Or we can see that Jesus has a greater dream for us and a greater invitation for us in life. And if today you need to recommit again your heart and your life to that greater dream that Jesus has for you, a life of following Jesus, a life of knowing Jesus, I invite you to respond to that invitation. To say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't want the lesser dream that I come up with on my own. I want the greater dream that you're going to lead me into. I want to see you on the throne like John did. And I want you to make everything new in my life. Lord, today we pray for this week. This could be a heavy week in our country, dear Jesus and we need saving, and we need your help. We need perseverance to make it through. We need comfort for when grief overwhelms us. Lord, we need peace if anger begins to kick in inside our hearts and minds. Lord, this week we pray for everybody on the front lines for those in hospitals, for those serving in ambulances and in police stations, and for those serving in leadership positions. Lord, surround them with people who will be praying for them and lifting them up in prayer. And Lord, we pray that through this, your Spirit will be present. Give them a greater knowledge, a greater strength than what they have on their own. Lord, we pray for this week as we walk through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. Speak to us through your words and your actions. Let us walk this week with you. And Lord, in the back of our mind, as we focus on the sadness of this week, let us remember that that little glimmer of hope for next Sunday is there the whole time. And we pray that next week that we can feel the hope of Easter Sunday in a way that we never have before. God, we are grateful that you are making everything new and that you sit on heaven's throne. Amen.